0: Now within the overarch of describing the people of God as the New Jerusalem, there are particulars that move to define the city, to define uh, this presentation of the Bride of Christ. Well, one of the first things One of the early things said here in this reading is, "...He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain." Immediately you should be impressed with the fact that John, who was already in the Spirit because he was in heaven, go back to Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, that was his location for the entire vision of the book of Revelation. There he says, and suddenly, Revelation four one, there was a door standing open before me into heaven and I heard a voice saying, "'Come up here and sit with me "'and I will show you what is to come.' And then from there, from that vantage point he sees both heaven and earth and he also sees the past, the present and the future. Now when he says that he was shown a new Jerusalem, it was by one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues who came to him and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Where is He? He's already in heaven, He's already in the Spirit. But He reminds us that He is in the Spirit right after this, and He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, Holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, He is in the Spirit. Everything you view here has to be viewed through the lens of Him being in the Spirit and a great and high mountain from which to see The descending of the city, which is a representation of something. It's not a city, it's a representation of something, and this is a vision. This is a vision. Anyone who has visions sees a thing in the form of a vision in a particular form of presentation but knows the necessity of the interpretation of the vision. You don't have a a dream or vision and wake up thinking, well, this was exactly how things are going to be. Not a vision of this scope or scale, We've already become acquainted with this form of vision. Daniel was troubled in his dreams at night, and he had a vision, four great beasts coming up out of the sea. A lion, a bear, a leopard, and in a fourth kingdom, frighteningly terrible, crushing and devouring the whole earth. It had bronze teeth and iron claws, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Well, if you assume that somehow lions, bears, leopards and an unnamed creature of astonishing, fearsome appearance are literal, then you'll be waiting to see the wrong thing. The eyes of your understanding will not be enlightened. Even Daniel knew the need to have interpretation. So he said, I wanted to know about these four great beasts. And he was told that these four great beasts are four kingdoms that will arise on the earth. And he wanted to know with particularity about the fourth beast and he was told that that too was a kingdom and that it would oppress the saints. So if you know that, if you know the fourth beast of four kingdoms, then don't pretend that it's otherwise. If you know that the great city is the Lamb's wife, do not pretend otherwise. If you do, you will conflate a building with the body of Christ. And people do it all the time, Now, so it's not strange that they will continue to do so, regarding the book of Revelation and the thing revealed. It says plainly, "'Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife.'" So what was He seeing? He was seeing the Lamb's wife. In what condition was He? in the Spirit, what did this vision hold for him? He saw the Lamb's wife as a city, descending out of heaven from God. Does it mean that it's a city? Then you've transposed the literal onto the figurative when the context itself tells you it's figurative. So don't blame anyone for miscalculations. This isn't about streets of gold as paving material and it isn't about pearls that make gates nor is it about a wall that has twelve foundations and the gates that have names written on them with the twelve tribes of Israel. It couldn't possibly be that. But let me show you something. These things have had their antecedents. Let's look at the book of Numbers when God is about to arrange to bring Israel out of Egypt. He arranges them in a particular fashion. He says, beginning at uh, verse 18 of Numbers chapter 2, this is how God arranges Israel to bring them out of Egypt. So He says, "...then the tabernacle of the congregation shall set forward with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camp." So he's arranging a camp as they encamped. "...so shall they set forward every man in his place by their standards. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim." And Ephraim will be joined by Benjamin, and by um, Dan, then he goes on that there will be those on the north side, those on the east side and those on the south side. This is the arrangement by which they were to exit Babylon, uh, uh, Egypt. These are those that were numbered of the children of Israel by the house of their fathers. All those that were numbered of the camps throughout their host were 600,305 uh, and 50. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded. So they pitched their standards and so they set forward every man after, his, after their families according to the house of their fathers." What are we to know? Well first, we are to know that the arrangement of a nation was in their tribal identities and groups of tribals of tribal identities under the banner or flag of, their, of, of, that, of that tribe, assembled by uh, tribes, by clans by households, by families. Judah, by the way, led on the east side. This is how you could mobilize an army or mobilize a nation for a quick march to get out of, as in this case, Egypt. This is an early and rudimentary form of this principle. But if you'll come to the book of Ezekiel, let me show you another iteration of the same principle. In the book of Ezekiel, a vision of this city that we're talking about is given. Come to Ezekiel 48. Now, The priests of Zadok are in are in charge," he says. Five. Uh, let's start at verse 16. And these shall be the measures thereof. Actually, it speaks of the city, five thousand, and the five thousand that are left in the breath over against the 5 and 20,000 shall be a profane place for the city, for the dwelling, for the suburbs and the city shall be in the midst thereof. And these shall be the measures of the city. The north side, 400,000 etc., and he gives further descriptions, the residue, he said uh, in verse 21, shall be for the prince of, on the one side and on the other side, the holy oblation. And he sets out how this is to be, the city is to be arranged. As for the rest of the tribes, verse 23, Let me, let me just pick up verse 22 because it, it bears direct tying back into what we just read from Exodus chapter 2. Moreover, from the possession of the Levites and from the possession of the city, being in the midst of that which is the princes, between the border of Judah and the border of Benjamin set for the prince. So the Levites are in the midst of the city, in Ezekiel, this is Ezekiel, not Exodus. As for the rest of the tribes from the east side to the west side, Benjamin shall have a portion. And he defines the border of Benjamin. And by the border of Simeon, from the east side onto the west side, Issachar a portion, and so on. And it goes down defining how the tribes are to be arranged then He comes to the city itself in verse 30. This is Ezekiel 48 at verse 30, "...and these are the goings out of the city, on the north side 400 and so thousand, and the gates of the city shall be the names of the twelve tribes." This This is the vision in Ezekiel of this that is being unpacked in Revelation 21. On the east side, um, 405,000, three gates- and the gate of Joseph, the gate of Benjamin, the gate of Dan, and on the south side, 405,000 measures, the three gates- one gate for Simeon, one gate For Issachar, one gate for Zebulun. The west side, 405,000 with their three gates one gate for Gad, one gate for Asher, one gate for Naphtali. It was round about 18,000 measures. And the names of the city, and the name of the city from that day shall be The Lord is here. Most people don't even know this passage exists in Scripture. So they run willy-nilly to the book of Revelation and they skip over things. Gates are just gates with names on them. They do not see that this is a progressive correlation from the book of Exodus where God arranges the people of promise who were in the Old Testament. This was before uh, the promise had been given to Abraham before now but they were in Egypt for 430 years and they were now being brought out of Egypt to fulfill the promise of the coming Messiah and they were arranged according to a holy city. That's my point. The three on the east, three on the north, three on the west, three on the south are emblematic of the gates, they're picturing a thing to come. They're the rudimentary and first order of these things. Yes, they're being formed as a nation to, be, to exit Egypt, but why are they being formed in this fashion? it's a picture of twelve gates. Now here is the key, What is the, what are the names of the gates and why? Obviously, because it's so stated, the twelve gates divided by three in each configuration according to the points of the compass carry the names of the 12 sons of Jacob but the assembling behind the gates this is key the assembling behind the gates which are the names of their fathers is done according to what clan what clans make up the tribes what families or households make up the clans according to what families make up the households. We see this again when Joshua is required to number Israel to find the culprit who stole the wedge of gold of 50 shekels and 200 shekels of silver and a rich Babylonish garment from the destruction and ruins of the city of Jericho when God had said to them, "...the gold and silver are mine." And it was necessary to teach Israel a lesson of the fear of the Lord that should result in obedience. You know, when people can't obey, when people cannot obey, it's because they don't fear God. Sometimes it isn't that they just say, well, I don't fear God, it's that they love their own ways more than they fear the the ways of God, more than they love God even. So they will always defer to their own ways. And God was about to teach Israel, you cannot survive, you cannot take the land, even though I've promised it to you, if you bring this attitude of idolatry up into the land I'm giving you. And the idolatry is your love of self. So he had them find the culprit whose sin, violating the express commands of God. Look. If God tells you to do something and expressly stated in the scriptures, you don't have to understand it to obey it. And in fact, if you have to understand it before you obey it, then it's in fact not obedience. Because you're only agreeing with your understanding of the thing. But if you will obey before you understand, then God will give you the understanding together with the blessing of obedience. Hmm? Critical factor, so Joshua, in order to find the culprit, numbers Israel. And the fashion of the numbering was, and it is clearly delineated in the record, he cast lots, he assembled all of Israel by tribes, cast lots and the lot fell on the particular tribe in which the culprit was. He numbered the tribe according to the clans and as you might suspect if you haven't read the passage, the the lot fell on the clan that had the offending party. He numbered the clans by their households and the lot fell on the household that contained the family and ultimately the offender. They cast lots upon the families of that household and a lot fell on Echan, the son of Kami. And he was disclosed and uh, Joshua told him, "...confess your sin." He showed them where the loot was hidden, it was dug up, displayed and he and his family and all his possessions were eradicated from Israel in the manner in which you would eradicate a cancerous growth. In that process, God taught them many things, but taught us the way to arrange a nation. What is the key to the arrangement of any nation? Every time, every time, that God intends to bring about an order for the assembling of a people, every time, this is the order that God uses. Every man must be assembled according to his Father's house. You read it in the reading, according to his father's house. When, it was st- when Israel was brought back from Babylonian captivity, how were they arranged for their return? The book of Ezra shows how they were enrolled according to their families and though they had been in Babylon for 70 years, everyone at least knew who His Father was and the Father knew who His Father was and so on. You are arranged according to your Father's house. The Fathers are the gates. When it was time for Jesus to come into the world according to the fulfillment of prophecy, how did God treat Israel at that time? he had Caesar Augustus issue a decree at the time when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, the Roman province of which the city of Jerusalem was an outpost. All the world was to be taxed and people had to enroll in their family's house, in their family's lineage and that's what Mary and Joseph were doing in the city of Nazareth. Because the city of Nazareth was David's city and they were descendants of David, they were the descendants of David. David was the father. Do we know this for sure? of course we do. There are two genealogical references to Jesus, one in Luke, the other in Matthew. They both show him as a descendant of David. So that's why he was up in Bethlehem. I'm sorry. That's why he had to go up to Bethlehem to be because Bethlehem was David's city. He grew up in Nazareth but He was born in Bethlehem because that was the city in which David and the family of David originated. So every time God is arranging anything, He does so by connecting people to their fathers. The New Jerusalem is a people, an assembled people, God's glorious people, the joy of the whole earth, and they are ranged behind twelve gates that sit upon twelve wall a wall with twelve foundations. That's the principle. The Lamb's Book of Life has the perfect record of who are the fathers of the families. Now we've seen this before in graphic detail when Israel was about to come out of Egypt and there are two references, one I've already spoken to, the other was when they were gathered by their families in their homes the night the destroyer came to take out the firstborn of Egypt and the blood of promise was upon the gates and the destroyer knew that its work had already been done. They were safe behind the gates of their fathers' houses. Now this isn't about safety, this is about order of function and order of arrangement and as I've shown you, All of the references in Scripture connect to a single principle, you will be assembled according to your father's house and he will be assembled according to his father's house and so on and so forth until an entire people are assembled that occupy the whole earth and no one is out of place, everyone derives the greater sense of well-being and the greater sense of identity by connection to the whole. The body of Christ is arranged in this way, now, and it will be supremely and superbly arranged in that way. When the thing that was assembled in heaven comes forth according to the plan and the prophetic utterance that declares the timing of such thing and it'll cover the whole earth, but in such a degree of order and well-being as not seen on the earth, perhaps since these early rudimentary forms in which it originally occurred. I'm Sam Solon will unpack the city in greater detail. I'll see you then. Bye now.